Now, we're glad you're here at 2911. And you know what? If you don't like, you know, something, we, we still want you to be here. You know, if you don't like my shirt today, you know, we still want you to come. You know, that's okay. You know, if you don't like my shirt now, and believe it or not, I'm wearing it open because my wife said, I, I came down, downstairs this morning, had, you know, had it all buttoned up, ready to go. And she said, you know, that's the shirt that you wear unbuttoned. Yes, ma'am. Why that, that sounds like all the women are laughing. Where are all the men saying amen? Yeah, exactly. Yes, ma'am. Yes, ma'am. So, you know, if you don't like my shirt or you don't like it unbuttoned, then you can talk to Dave about it, okay? Because, uh, you know, we, we won't be blown away if you don't like my shirt or something. You know, or, or if, you know, if you don't like our brand of coffee that we serve back there, you know, talk to somebody else because I don't drink coffee. I don't know anything about it. Occasionally, I'll, I'll, you know, I hadn't picked up coffee in a long time, but occasionally I will, and I just pick up what they tell me to pick up. So talk to them about that because I don't know anything about the coffee, okay? But we still want you to come here, even if you don't like the coffee, but, you know, what, you know, maybe I can just pick you some up on the way in or something if that's what it takes to, to help you out. But, or, or maybe you didn't like one of the songs that we sang today. You know, well, listen, please, you know, just keep that one to yourself if you possibly can, okay? We still want you to come, but just, just worship God a lot harder if we're in a song that you don't like, you know, because I'm not, you know, I'm, you know every song is not my favorite, you know, so we, we still want you to come. You know, and you might be a pre-tribber, a mid-tribber, or a post-tribber. You know, we don't care. We want you to be at 29. And if you don't have any idea what I'm talking about, that is awesome that you don't know. And don't worry about it, okay? We're just glad that you're here, okay? Because, you know, there's a lot of stuff that we just are, uh, talk about and talk about and, and rehash over and over and over. And, you know, that, some of that stuff's not really important. You know, and we don't care if you were raised Baptist, Methodist, AG, COG, Cogic, cogop, you know, whatever. We, we don't care. Or if you were raised none of the above, we don't care. We are so glad that you're here. You know, and there's a whole lot of that stuff, you know, that we, we, we've, I think we've discovered in the last decade or so really is not that important anymore. But there are, and I've been calling them here lately, some non-negotiables. There, there are, I'm going to give you the four big ones today in this sermon our non-negotiables at 2911. There are four, uh, there may be some more things, but these, these are really the things. And if you've been to 101, you've heard me run over these real quick, but we, we try to hit a lot of things at 101, so we don't get to really dry, drill down into it. Today, we're going to drill down into these four things. Uh, we just call them truths of 2911, things that we hold true. But I mean, lately, I've been calling them non-negotiables because that's really what they are. We don't get to negotiate over these things. You know, we can talk, you know, we can talk about coffee brands. We can talk about the, the style of shirt the pastor wears, you know, and everything. We, we, you know, some of that don't, doesn't matter, you know, and, and even the pre, mid, and post trip, you know, that stuff doesn't matter. But these are the non-negotiables. These right here, okay? So let, let me show you four things. And the first one's going to be long. The first one's the longest, okay? So don't get worried when I, do, I go 15 minutes here or something. You say, whoa, gonna be here. No, it's not, probably not going to be that long. Here's the first one. Is the Bible is the inspired word of God. Now, again, I, I, I hit this real quick at 101. So you may have heard me say this if you've been to 101. Is there, the Bible's always been under attack. Ever since it was first penned, it was under attack. And uh, a lot of people say, well, is this really the word of God or is this really, listen, if the Bible is not the word of God, we need to just close it, turn off lights, go home. 
If we don't have the Word of God, we ain't got nothing, okay? So this is an absolute non-negotiable as a Christian. It's 29.11. We definitely said that. So let me take you to some scripture. And I, and I remember this back when I was in school. Do you remember, did your, did your teacher ever say, like when you're defining a word, you can't use the word in the definition of the word? Your teacher ever tell you that? And, and I, I, that's kind of almost the way I feel here because it's like to, to, to define the word and to prove the word to you, what am I doing? I'm going to the word. I'm talking about the word, capital W, Bible, yep. That to, to define the word, I'm going to the word, okay? But here's the reason, okay? This is kind of giving you a little bit of a spoiler here of this, of what, this point I'm going to make here is because there is no higher authority in the world than the word of God. Okay, so if I'm going, I've got to go here, okay? And so here it is. Ephesians, I'm sorry, 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16. All Scripture is breathed out by God. It is God-breathed. All Scripture is God-breathed. It is breathed out by God. Now, what do we mean by that? It means like it is inspired. It, it, is, it has come from God to man. Okay, what does that mean? To, for the Scripture to be God-breathed, for the Bible to be God-breathed, means it is two things. And the first one is that it is unique. Now, there are a lot of inspiring things in the world. You ever see art that just you just look and look and look at and then you kind of move around a little bit and just look? You ever see, I know a lot of you probably aren't art people that you just love something like that, but you know, you see something, like, or maybe a poem that you read and it's just like, oh, wow, that just touched me. You know, come on, guys, you can go ahead and admit it. Some of those things touch you, right? You can go ahead and admit that, right, guys? You know, and and... Even those, 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 those things are, are inspiring. They do not inspire on the level of God's word and the inspiration that is there. And, and not just things like poetry and art or songs, like some of the songs that the worship team sings. Man, they, 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 man, they just make me passionate. They light my fire, you know? I mean, they, they crank my tractor on Sunday mornings, you know? And they're, they're amazing. They're inspiring. But the word of God is unique and that it is over all of that. Even prophecies and spirits, the Word of God supersedes that. And, and, and prophecy, got a scripture that we're going to read here in a second, but, but prophecy, you know, even preaching, you know, preaching is prophecy because prophecy is just speaking forth the Word of God. I know when we hear the word prophecy, we're thinking about, you know, somebody telling us what's going to happen at the end of times or something's going to happen to you next week. Prophecy is just speaking forth the Word of God. So it could be something about that, but even this is considered prophecy. But, and I, and I hope, I hope every time you come to 2911, every time, whether it's me or one of the other ministers of the church that is, that is sharing the word, I hope every time you come, it is inspiring to you. But nothing has the inspiration to the level of the word of God. And even the word of God claims that for itself. First Thessalonians 5, 21, do not scoff at prophecies, but test everything that is said. Okay, and hold on to what is good. Here's what Paul is saying. He says, test everything, test every prophecy. Don't scoff at them, okay? And, and you know, I, I listen to this, and I'm thinking, okay, you know, because a lot of people, they, they doubt or they, they say, well, I don't believe that. I say, well, that's crazy and whatever. And he said, no, 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 don't do that. Test it, but don't scoff at it. And then hold on to what is good. Because you might, you might jump the gun here a little bit and, and judge that prophecy as not being true and maybe God's still doing something you ain't seen yet. So don't scoff at it, but test it, okay? And then, then he goes on, 1 John chapter 4, verse 1, he says, Dear friends, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God because many false prophets have gone out into the world. Test it. Okay, how do you test that? 
How do you test? You got to have a standard, right? You got to have a measurement. You got to have some way. How do you test? There is no higher authority in this world than the Word of God. So, so every prophecy, every sermon I preach should be tested. It should be measured by the Word of God. If I preach something that, that doesn't line up with the Word of God, disregard it. You know, if it doesn't line up in your spirit with the Word of God, just, but hold on to what is good. You see, because my Word is not infallible. I could miss what, you know, I believe God has spoken this to me this week. Get me ready for that. But I could miss it here or there. Okay, so I'm not infallible, okay? Uh, but that's the second thing that the Word of God is. It is unique and it is infallible. When we say that it is God-breathed, then it is unique and it is infallible. And Jesus says in Matthew 24, verse 35, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. He doesn't mean that that Bible you've got laying on the nightstand beside your bed that when, you know, this whole world has kind of passed away, or, you know, and uh, that it won't rot and the pages won't fall out and disintegrate and all that. He, that's not what he's saying. He's not saying the recording will not pass away, the written record or, or what you've got on your cell phone or, or, or CD or whatever, however you listen to the, or, or take in the word. Not the recording, but the word itself. You know, you, you might, you might uh, some of you young ladies, you know, you might have a letter from, you know, your sweetheart, you know, and it's just really touched you, you know, and you hang on to it, and he's promised this and this and this for the rest of your lives and all of that and everything, and it's wonderful, you know, and you remember that, and you've held on to it, treasured it, and if you ever lose that letter, you still would treasure the thought in your head. That, that's what he is saying. He's saying, I'm making you some promises, and even when this world passes away, and even when you, can, you don't have a cell phone, you know, when, when, you, when you die and cell phones are gone from your life, you don't have a cell phone that you can look up my word. My promise to you is still going to be there. When, when every way of recording what I am saying to you and all the promises I am making to you, Jesus is saying, when all of that is gone, my word is still going to be sure. And so this, these are the two things here that the word of God is because it is God-breathed. It is unique. There is nothing like the word of God, and it is infallible. We believe this. We believe that, that, that he has protected this word. If I had time right here, you know, and I, I had it in my notes, but there's no way. I, I, I preached too long in the first, first service. You know, there was no way I could preach. I had to take a bunch of stuff out, and I still went too long. But if I had time, I would love to talk to you about the historical accuracy. You see, I would love to talk to you about the way God has protected his word. Even though people have tried to change it, they tried to water it down, and how God has protected his word. And some of the oldest archaeological finds that we have of records, of writings, are the word of God that you and I have, and they match up what we have. And one of the things that we have also is that when God breathed this word to the men who then penned it out and wrote it down, like you'll hear me say, Paul wrote this as God told him to write this, or, or, or Matthew recorded this, and you hear me say that, when, when, when that happened, the men that were writing this down were writing it down contemporaneously. They were writing it down as it happened. They weren't men who had heard the story. They were men who had lived the story and saw it happen, and they wrote it down as God was bringing it to him. Here's what I'm doing, and here's what I'm saying, and here's what has happened, and they're writing it down. The historical accuracy is there. I wish I had time to preach all that to you. I threw it at you a little quick right there, but, but all of that to prove to us, okay? It is, it is unique. It is infallible. But there's another word in that, you know, Second uh, Timothy chapter 3, verse 16. I didn't read all of that verse. It goes on and says, it is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. Profitable. It is profitable. It is usable. It, it, is, it is something that 
you can use. It is something that will profit you. And I know we think we look at that word P-O-R-F-I-T. We see profit and we think money immediately. It's, that's not the only way that your life can profit from something. It is profitable. It is usable. Here's, here, here's the problem I think we have. In our culture today, we don't like rules. Amen? We don't like rules. Rules tell us we can't do stuff, you know? But if you are a law-abiding citizen, you probably like the fact that the policeman doesn't just have suggestions to make to the criminals. Right? You're probably, you probably like the fact that the policeman has laws that he can, you know, if he's got to confront a criminal, he's got a law that he can hold the criminal accountable for, and if he has to, take him to jail. Arrest him. Put him in the back. You, if you are a law-abiding citizen, you like that. The only people who don't like that are the ones who don't want to live by the laws. Right? And so the same way with God's book, his rules, laws, whatever. If you are trying to live by it, it's like, good, this is good, this is wonderful. If you're the one saying, nah, I want to do my own thing, then you don't like this stuff. Uh, you know, one of the, one of the examples uh, that I've used, I know a couple of times just the last few months, is about the laws of aerodynamics. Remember the three laws of aerodynamics. What are they? Lift, thrust, drag. Lift, thrust, and drag. And you know what? Everybody's looking around. Who is that that knows all the answers back there? <laughs> Lift thrust. I promise he doesn't have a cheat sheet, okay? Um, but if, if, you know, if you try to use two of those three, you're not going to really get airborne. Now, I know there's, there's a saying that with enough thrust, anything can fly, right? I mean, a cannonball is not really built to fly, but you put enough thrust behind it, and it's going to fly. But it's only going to fly so far, and it's actually just going to coast the rest of the way. But an airplane is using all three of those things. And so, so when we, we can look at that, and I kind of shared this a few weeks ago, we can look at that and say, I don't like gravity. I don't like having that law. I don't like having, but thank God I do. So I know where my car's at when I get outside. You know, it's not floating away. It's in this parking space. You know, the, the law is a good thing. And then the law also tells me drag, thrust, and lift. If I use those, I can still get airborne. You know, last, last uh, weekend, uh, last Thursday through Saturday, uh, Brent and I were in Honduras, and we, we took off in four different jets. And you know what? I wasn't really thinking about it at that moment, but I, looking back at it later, I thought, you know, I had confidence in the laws of drag, thrust, and lift that all four of those jets were going to take off from the ground, and they were going to make it to their destination. I had confidence. Why? Because there was a law that said, if you do this, this is going to happen. Okay, now you getting this now? Are you understanding where we're going with this? You see, it's like in, in the Bible, the Bible talks about sowing and reaping. So let's first re relate that to a, to a farmer. A farmer who, who, who relies on the laws of sowing and reaping. And when, when a farmer is gathering his crop, you know, this year, you know, here at the end of the summer or maybe in the fall, and he starts to gather his crop. He's going to take some of the fruit from that crop and he is going to take some of the seed and save it. Why? Why? To plant next year. You know why? Because he knows that the same law of sowing and reaping that worked this year and last year and the year before that and the year, it's going to be the same law next year. I mean, you know, the farmer, farmers would go out of business if the laws changed every year about sowing and reaping. But he knows and actually probably learns a little bit every year because the law stays the same. If you plant it, 
It's going to come up. You know, if you plant, you do the right things. In the Bible, the same way. The Word of God tells us the stuff that if we sow, we're going to reap. You know, the, the Bible says that several times. That whatsoever a man sows, that will he also reap. So you want to smile? Smile at somebody. You get a smile back. Now, I know you're going you're gonna to find some, some people that's just kind of ornery or whatever, and they're not going to smile. You keep smiling at them. They probably call the authorities, think something's wrong with you because you're just walking around smiling at everybody. But for the most part, you smile, and you get a smile back. You know, you want love? Then love. L- reach out to someone in love, and love will come back to you. And maybe not even from that person, but from somewhere else, because it is a law. I mean, it's a law, and, 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 and nature cannot break the law. If you sow love, you'll have love. Where the God tells us, sow peace, and you'll have peace. You know, that's where peace comes from, peacemakers. And what is a peacemaker? Somebody that's sowing peace. Now, that doesn't mean you will never have any trouble in life, but what it means is you're going to have more and more and more peace, okay? doesn't mean that you're still not going to have some, some people that come and try to rob your peace, but when you sow peace, you're going to have more peace. So if you want peace, sow peace. Finances, you know, yeah, give and it shall be given to you. Good, ma- that's the crazy thing, isn't it? You take one seed, you put it in the ground. What do you get? You get a tree. You get a tree that every year produces fruit with mul- multitude and multitude of fruit, which each have multitudes of seeds inside of them, which are all possible new trees. So, so it, that, and that's the, that's a law from the scripture. And God says, given it shall be given to you. And he, he finishes that with, just like if you think about that seed, how it does this, he says, given it shall be given to you, good measure, pressed down, shaken together and running over will People give into your bosom. Men will give into you because you have planted it. And so, so you know what? Some of you have learned that. Some of you have learned that. And so you're a giver. I, I mean, you know, I, I've heard some of you say, no, don't, don't rob me of my blessing. I'm going to give this somewhere, some way, because I've got to plant something so that God's got an excuse and a reason to bless me. And here, here's, here's the reason this is important to us. The Bible is not a book of right and wrong. The Bible is the Word of God that tells us what works and what doesn't work. So when life isn't making sense, you got the book. You know, when, you know when that teenager isn't making sense, mom, dad, you know, when, when that part of your life isn't making sense, okay, attention back to me now, okay, okay, y'all, y'all, are, talk, y'all are talking about it right there, right now, yeah, y'all already figured it out, yeah, yeah, it's when it doesn't, guess what? The God who created that teenager and made them ornery to live with and what all, all those hormones and all those other things that are going on, the God that created them wrote you a book and explained to you how to live life and how to do things. And, and, and it's, it's the God that created them and gave them all the talents and, and, and the, the passions that they have and all the struggles that they're going through. He knows all of that. And, and you have that right there. Your marriage not making sense? You're struggling in your marriage? Guess what? The God who instituted marriage, he is the one that has left you this book. It's not just a book of right and wrong. It is the word of the creator that created all this. And whatever is not going right in your life, you've got a book to go to today that was written by the creator of everything that's going on in your life. And he can tell you what works and what doesn't work. So thank God that the Bible is not a book, it is the inspired word of God. Second, non-negotiable, is that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. God has many 
sons and daughters. God's, God has many children. We've all, if you're a follower of Christ, if you've accepted Christ, you're a fo- you are a child of God. Romans chapter 8, verse 14 and 15. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God, so you have not received a spirit that makes you fearful slaves. God didn't drag you into this away from your free will. You chose. You, you, you do not become a Christian by force. You choose. And so when you choose to be a Christian, you aren't, you aren't, you aren't brought in and given a, a spirit of fear like a slave, but you are given a spirit. Uh, instead, you receive God's spirit when he adopted you as his own children. And now we call him Abba Father. And every one of us, we're his children, okay? So I, I say this because you'll hear people say, well, I'm a child of God. I'm a son of God. I, I, I'm a daughter of God. You'll hear people say that. So I don't want you to misunderstand when I say Jesus is the only begotten son of God. He is the only begotten son. I, I, I wanted you, you'll hear that. They're right. We've been adopted in. We are children of God. But there is a distinction here that, that is important. And I'm going to tell you why it's important too, but let's look, let's look at the distinction first. John chapter 3, verse 16, probably the most well-known scripture in the whole world. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. And that word up there, begotten, right there in the middle, the word begotten, and there, there's the Greek word. I don't know how to read that. I can barely pronounce monogamy. And, uh, and it means one and only. Now, when Jesus, Jesus is speaking to Nicodemus here, a man who came to him in the night with a bunch of questions, and he is telling him this. And when Jesus says this, Jesus has not yet died, obviously, right? This is John chapter 3. I mean, he, it's still early in the whole story. And he hasn't died yet. So no one has been adopted into the family. Jesus is the only, the one and only son. There is nobody else in the family yet. You know, and, and I, I don't understand this whole Trinity thing, but God has some, somehow tried to reveal himself to us in these three persons of Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. So Jesus is this son, and he's, and he's telling Nicodemus that. And he said, I am the only begotten son of God. And that, that word actually means one and only. And when it was translated into the English, they chose to use the word begotten because after, if you read the whole story, as they did and we do, and we get over there and we find out, oh, wait, we've been adopted, so we're sons and daughters also. We're also children of God. But what this word means, one and only, the best way for us to understand that is like a begotten, he was always there. He was not born somewhere else and brought in. He was always part of the, here's what this means. God has lots of children, but Jesus Christ is uniquely the one and only begotten son of God. That's what this means, okay? So you're adopted, you're a child of God, but he is part of God that God hid. That, I, don't, I don't fully get it either, but that's what he is. Now, now that we've laid all that out there, why, why do we care? Because a lot of people say Jesus was just a great teacher. A lot of people say Jesus was just a good man. He, he did a lot of good stuff, but he was just a man, just like me and you. If that's true, it really takes a lot away from what you and I have in God today. If Jesus is exactly who he says he is, though, if he is the Son of God, if he is who the Word of God says he is, if he is the one and only begotten Son of God, if he is part of that Godhead, then what that means is that when you speak the name Jesus, 
you were talking about somebody different than anybody else who has ever lived. That when you call on his name, you were calling on the, the, the most powerful name that is there. I, you know, I, I had to cut a lot of stuff out of this message. And one of the scriptures that I cut out and it came to my mind in the first service, it's come to my mind right here too, so I'm going to just go ahead and throw it to you anyway. Where, the Word of God says that Jesus was given a name that is above every name. And that at that name, that when that name is mentioned, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Here's why this should be important to you. is because when you're going through problems, when you're going through struggles, when life doesn't make sense because of all the junk that you're having to deal with, you can call on the name of Jesus and everything that's coming against you has to drop to their knee, has to be submissive because you have just called on the most powerful name, perhaps the most powerful word in the whole universe, the name Jesus Christ. That's why that's important. That's why this is a non-negotiable. That's why I'll never let this one go. You can, you can argue with me about the tribulation, lots of stuff, like put the rapture and all that. Kind of, you can argue with me about some of that stuff, and I don't know about, but this is one thing. It is non-negotiable with us. Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Thirdly, you must be born again. We must be born again. Now, that's an old-sounding, old old-fashioned, traditional-sounding term, right? Born again. And people who are about my age, a little bit younger and older, will remember just a couple of decades ago that uh, born again became a bad word in culture and in politics. Oh, that's that born-again crowd. Those are the ones, they're the, they're the born-agains. You know, and it became a little bit of a bad word. And so some people now are, have backed away from it. They don't want to use it. It is an old word. It goes back 2,000 years because it's in John chapter 3. You remember that same chapter we were in, John 3, 16? Same chapter. Just a little bit before Jesus tells Nicodemus, for God so loved the world, just a little bit before he tells that, Jesus uses this term. It's verse 3 right here. Jesus is talking to Nicodemus and he says, I tell you the truth, unless you are born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. Now the Greek word there, uh, again, I don't know exactly how to pronounce that, but it means from the, unless you are born from the top, start all over. Unless you are born anew. Unless you are born all over again. That's what the word means. So when Jesus used this word, if you go back and look, if you find a Greek Bible, Greek text on, online, Google it, you'll find it. You'll see that word is there. That, that again word is there, and it's that A-N-O-T-H-E-N. It's written in, in the Greek letters, though. You'll see it's there. It's not something that was added. It's not something that's misquoted. This is what Jesus said. Jesus said, born again, anew, afresh from the top. It's like start all over. Now, one of the things that's interesting to me is how, how Jesus was blown away by the fact that Nicodemus didn't understand he had to be born again. Now you and I, if you've been in church a while, you've heard this term so much, you already, and you, you, you already know what I'm saying here. You know, but Nicodemus didn't. And, and a lot of people today don't. They don't understand what this is talking about. And, and Jesus was blown away. He was amazed that Nicodemus didn't understand because Nicodemus had been studying the law pretty much all of his life. He said, how is it that you don't understand this? Okay, now, what is Jesus talking about? He says, if you... Unless you're born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is not just a physical flesh kingdom. It is a spiritual kingdom. It exists in, in an entirely different uh, uh, plane or, or, or dimension. It is so much more than just the physical that is around us. And if that's the case, 
then if you're only born in this flesh, you'll never see that kingdom. Not even right here. I mean, the people that are born in the spirit and they have this born again experience with Jesus, they are already beginning to see the spirit. That's what I'm saying when, you know, life just blows you away and it's like, it doesn't make sense. And we come together on Sunday morning and we start seeing the kingdom a little bit together here on Sunday morning. And we say, okay, it's making sense again now. Because instead of being focused on everything that culture has to offer me, I'm focusing here spiritually on the kingdom and wow, I'm seeing it. So I'm not just talking about eternity. I'm talking about right now. If you're born again, you can see the kingdom right now. I got I, I to really hurry. But here's the thing also. It's not just even this right now. It's to come. You know, the body that you're sitting there in, the one you had since birth, right? It's dying. Did you know that? Did you know it's dying? Anybody lose any hairs this week besides me? I got a few left to lose, you know? Uh, and somebody said... Between services, on their way in for this service, they said, this getting old stuff just ain't all it's cracked up to be. I said, I'm glad you said that. That's going to fit really well in the message here in just a little bit. And I know some of you guys, you younger guys, y'all think y'all still got it, you know, and ain't nothing breaking down. It's breaking down. It's breaking down. It's sagging a little bit, you know. That's one of the things is I'm losing all the wrong stuff, you know. If I could just pick what I was losing, you know, I'd be in better shape. This body is dying. So what does that tell you? If you want to live eternally, if you want to have eternal life, it ain't going to happen in this body. There's got to be another body, doesn't there? You know, and I saw, Jesus like, now come on, Nicodemus, you ought, to, you ought to be able to figure this out. This body is dying. You cannot have eternal life in this body. So you must be born again. You know, and still, still Nicodemus is still always like perplexed. I don't get it or whatever. And that's the way a lot of people in the world are today. And maybe a lot of Christians as well. But here, can I tell you this? And I got to hurry. I got I really got to hurry. I'm going to hit this last fourth one real quick here in just a second. But let me tell you this, is that if you have already believed for salvation, you have already believed the greatest miracle that will ever happen. Okay, and what amazes me is that, is that Christians, even Christians, they can believe in this greatest miracle, yet they can't believe for the day-to-day. You know, it's like, man, they're just blown away by every little thing that happens in their life. Man, just destroyed, just everything. And, and like, life doesn't make sense anymore. It's like we can believe the greatest miracle that has ever happened, but we can't believe for the little mundane stuff that God says, I'm going to take care of that. I can take care of that. Because you know what the greatest miracle is? It's not that you were forgiven of your sins by God, but it was that God himself died for your sins. God died for you. That's a miracle. It's a miracle when, when, when God dies for his created beings. That's the, and if you have believed that, you've already believed the toughest one. The rest should be easy which really helps lead into the fourth non-negotiable, and it is that believers can be spirit-filled and spirit-led. Some of this may sound like semantics, but it's just that what happens is some people kind of focus on one aspect. Jesus is our example, though, and in um, Luke chapter 4, verse 1, it says about Jesus, then Jesus being filled with the Holy Spirit, filled, filled, being filled with the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led led by the Spirit in the wilderness. He was both filled and led. And I I, I know a lot of Christians 
that they grasp one of those. They say, yes, I'm spirit-filled. But they don't grab the lead that God wants to lead me, that there's something else he can do in my life, that he doesn't want to just fill me. And that's, I think that's what a lot of people look at on this, this Sunday thing is, is just so awesome because it makes life make sense again, and we just get lifted up again, and you know they just feel full of the Spirit of God again, and we walk out the door, and, and, and we leave it right there almost. We don't realize, you know, this isn't, this isn't so you can get filled up and hopefully you can make it through the rest of the week. Man, I know a lot of people, that's what Sunday is for them. And that's what Christianity is for them. It's like they just try to get enough on Sunday to make it through the week. No, that's not what God wants. He wants to fill you and he wants to lead you. He wants to help you. Uh, and John chapter 10, verse 10. Jesus says, I have come that they may have life and that they may have it more abundantly. You know, and I don't, I, you know I don't say the most important very often, right? But I'm going to say it right here. I think the most important word in that verse of Scripture right there is that little conjunction at the beginning of the second line, A-N-D. Because Jesus says, I have come that they, us, that they may have life and have it more abundantly. Now, I know most of the time we've probably spent, in breaking down this, this scripture, we've probably spent time on that word abundantly. What does that really, really mean? Well, you know what? It, do, it doesn't really mean anything if you, can't, if you don't have the and there in the first place. Here's the thing. As Jesus says, in the verse right before verse 10 right there, Jesus says, I'm the door. Now, he's talking about you know, people coming in different ways. He says, I didn't just come in. He said, I am the door. You know, I, I didn't have to look for a way in. I am the door. So, so he's the door that opens up to us. And what does he open? He came so that we would know who the Father is. The Israelites of the Old Testament, they were scared to death of God. I mean, do look at it. Sometimes they were just so scared, oh, what is he going to do to us now? Jesus wanted them to know the Father. And so he was the door to show them. And then he opened the door to eternal life, as we've already preached right? He opened the door for eternal life. But now he wants you to see something else, okay? I have come that you might have life and life also, life abundantly. Not just life one day, but life here and now that is abundant. And I've given you my word that is profitable to you, that is usable to you. And here's how it's going to happen is because Jesus is the door that has shown us the Father and he's shown us the way to eternal life. Now he's going to show us the way to abundant life and the way that he does that is through the Holy Spirit of God. And so now he's introducing us to the Father and to the Holy Spirit. The Father, so we know that the Father is not just a mean old God up there trying to scratch our name out of the book of life or, you know, or, or taking role about who's good and who's bad. He's not Santa Claus, you know, got the good naughty list. And so he wants us to know that, but then he also wants to introduce us to the Holy Spirit. So when Jesus left here, he had provided for our eternal life, but then he told the disciples, I'm sending the Holy Spirit back so that you can have that life more abundantly. That's the purpose in all that. And, 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 and it's crazy that, that Christians can believe God for the most amazing thing that God actually died for them, and they can't believe God for just some direction or wisdom through the week. Man, how, you know, this plays out. I mean, guys, we need, like guys, those, those of you who are married, you men who are married, have you ever tried to catch something that you said out here and get it back in your mouth before it hits your wife's ears. Huh? Yeah, yeah. Do you know what? I know that this sounds, this sounds silly, 
But the Holy Spirit, he can help catch that stuff while it's still in here. And it's not just with your wife, but when you do something else stupid, he can catch it way before you. Have you ever decided on about the third or fourth payment of something that you bought that you wish you hadn't bought it? The Holy Spirit can catch that stuff right here before you're signing on the dotted line. You know, so when life isn't making sense and all that, it's because you know, we're not really following that yet. And we come here on Sunday and we get a little taste of it and, it. and it's, oh wow, this is making sense again. But if we don't understand that he doesn't just want to fill us, he wants to lead us. He wants to teach us. He wants to show us through his word what works and what doesn't work. Some of that stuff you're saying, it ain't working. You need to learn your lesson here, bub. You know, it ain't going to work very long as, as, as good as it is working. You know, he wants to teach us. He wants to give us wisdom that we don't have. He wants to give us knowledge that we don't have. He wants to use us. Like I said last week, those, those nine spiritual gifts that we ended the sermon with, he wants to use you so that when your coworker says, I, I got a headache, and you say, well, I'm going to be praying for you, and they come back to you a little while and say, hey, my headache's gone. You know, and you can say, yeah, I know, I prayed. You know? God wants to use you in that way. He wants, he wants you to not be a, a parent who, is, who has no clue how to reach their kids. He wants you to have the clues. He wants to give them to you. And he does this by not just filling you, but by leading you. You've got, you've got to embrace all of this. God wants you to have all of it. This is a, our fourth non-negotiable, is that Christians are spirit-filled and can be spirit-led as well. And I really encourage you to embrace all that. Can I ask you to join me at the front, if you will? If you're a first-time attender, we'd like to close around front with a final song and a final prayer. And uh, we'd love to have you join us if you feel comfortable doing so. We like to sing a last song right before we leave and just spend some time thinking about what God's spoken to us today. Now I'm going to ask you to do one more thing for me. Would, you, would everybody take a step or two this way? Let's get those out of the aisle behind you and let's just get a little closer, all right? Let's just get a little closer. This it's 2911. What I've preached to you this morning, this is 2911. This is what we teach. This is our doctrine. This is our belief. This is our faith. This is, this is what we support being in you. This, this is 2911. You know, the, 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 these things. Uh, you hear us say a lot of other things about what we do. Next week's going to be more about what we do. But this is who we are. This is what we believe. This is what we teach. And, and, and I like that word. This is what we support being in you. But now the next step is yours. You know, um, worship team sings a song, doing everything they can to help you enter the presence of God. But nobody is ever drugged into the presence of God. You got to walk there on your own. They can sing all the song. They can sing every song they've got in the catalog today. But until you choose to step into his presence, you'll never get there. You have to do that. These prayer team members, every week they're praying and just hoping somebody will let them pray and believe God is going to work a miracle in their finances, give them that job that they need, or, or work out that situation at work, at home, or whatever, or a healing. And there they are. They're here. They're standing. But they don't come chase you down. It's, 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 your, it's your step to take next. You got to choose. We want you to be in a small group. You need to be in a small group. You need to be around good people. You need to, you need to be in a small group, but 
we can't make you be in a small group. And, and many of you need to lead a small group. We open that opportunity to you as well because you need to be doing that. But we can't make you show up for a fresh, even though we're going free food, free food next week, you know. We can't make you be there and choose to fulfill what God has called you to do and to be. Or, or maybe it's serving, but whatever it is, uh, you know, this is what we support, but you have to take it from here. It, it, it's a term you'll hear next week when I, I preach the second part of this ser series. You have to own your growth. We can't grow you. We can just say, this is who we are, this is what we support in you, but you have to own your growth. So own it today. If you've got issues, situations that you want some prayer with, prayer team's right here. We're ready. We've got plenty of them, and, but if we run out, everybody's busy, grab me. I'll be praying with you too. We want to pray with you. Or you need a job, you need, whatever your needs are, but you've got to take that step. We're ready to do that. But I want to pray over you right now. If you'll bow with me. Jamie, go ahead when you can. I want to pray over you right now. I want to pray that you step up and start owning your growth. Because too many Christians are living Sunday to Sunday, get, a look, get filled on Sunday, and they're empty by Thursday. Own your growth. Make this a seven-day-a-week thing. That you're full all week long. That you're being spirit-led, not just spirit-filled. Chase it. Father, I ask you, God, for everyone standing with